0: How's it going, Leon? Good. Thank Very good. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have. I was interviewed. It was an interview uh, before... I think it was New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. And it was this... And it was a really cool experience. You know, these guys are contacting me out of the blue. They're based in New York. They want to talk about my book. I mean, you know, feeling you know, it's all exciting. Wow, someone actually heard of what I've done. And the the interview was fun, except the, the connection wasn't so good. I think there was... I don't know IT problems either on on his end or my end. So he would ask this question, and then I couldn't hear any of the question. All of a sudden, the connection would just die <laughs> because we're doing it on Skype. And then he would say, "So what do you, you know?" And then he would, and then I'd hear the end of the question, you know, just the last word. And I'm thinking, uh, "I've got to answer as if I heard what he said, but I have no idea what he just said." That happened a few times, so was a, that was a bit odd. But otherwise, it was it was fun, and I know at least one person listened to it.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, they didn't have like sophisticated stats on. The, you know, the, I never uh, checked yeah. they might the I, I know one person because I subsequently received an email from a guy in a Jewish community in San Francisco, and he wanted he said he, he wanted me to come to his community and talk about my my research, talk about my book, and uh, i said i 'd love to, but i 'm not so sure if I can easily you know make it out to san francisco and uh, i 'm trying to organize something for
1: october if uh, but i 'll be out there but uh, so yeah he 's the only one that i 'm mm. aware of. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I know from our workshop yesterday, just from, uh, hanging out with you a little bit that, uh, Jewish studies obviously has a lot of importance in your sort of intellectual perspective. Yeah. Uh, it's something you work a lot on and you're obviously very interested in it. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and sort of maybe I'm, I'd be curious to know, um, uh, just maybe in general intellectual terms, what, what about the Jewish tradition do you kind of most identify with or mo- or find most well, sort just, of interesting or useful?
0: okay, so many questions there. so uh, one of the things about Jewish studies is that, although there are degrees in it, it's a really diverse and interdisciplinary group you know but it's primarily historians. there's a few you know anthropologists and sociologists, but it's very historical uh, and I did not I, I don't have any training in Jewish studies. Hmm. Um, my training is in political science, uh, political theory, international relations, uh, international political theory. That's that's what I've done, and uh, I ended up kind of moving into Jewish studies because I became increasingly interested intellectually, and personally, and politically. I guess all of those go all those go together with diaspora Jewish relationships. Uh, sorry, the diaspora Jewish relationship with Israel and. Uh, that sort of work can fall into two different, I guess, disciplinary headings. One is Israel studies, uh, and the other would be Jewish studies. I'm not really in Israel studies because I don't study as it were Israel specifically. It's more something about Israel than it is in Israel. If that, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of looking at it from the outside in as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the topic that you're looking at is looking at Israel as opposed to trying to understand what's going on in Israel or, uh, you know, I'm not so much concerned about Israeli foreign, you know, foreign relations that sort of thing. It's it's it, the the constituency that I'm interested in is outside of Israel. So that meant Israel studies is not really right, and 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 sort of Jewish studies became became the. I guess, sort of the home, you know, it's one of the, so I'm looking at journals, a lot of stuff it's in, in Jewish studies, but I'm not a Jewish studies person, so I, I feel often when I go to, you know, the one Jewish studies conference I've been to, the Jewish studies uh, seminar, um, I was at one in Oxford that I was at, I always felt really out of place, you know, here are these people who know way more than I do about, you know, the Jewish tradition, and then I'll get mm-hmm. to the second part of the question, but the Jewish tradition, most of them are historians, there was a rabbi who was there, uh, it's, and then there's me, you know, with political theory and international theory. <laughs> So, yeah, what's the connection? So, that, so that was, that's always a bit odd. Um, the, what, what, I, I guess what interests me in, in the Jewish tradition is a, is a good question. Uh, I mean, I, sometimes I wonder why is it that so many of the, the political theorists that I've been most interested in are Jewish. I wonder if there's a, mm. that's just by coincidence or, or not, you know, if there's something else going on there. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've always been very, very interested in Hannah Arendt for a very, very long time, and and reading Arendt, and also when I read Levinas, and also quite a few of the Frankfurt School thinkers. But certainly, I think with Arendt, uh, when I read her, to me, it's just it's a, she's a Jewish theorist. I, I, and I and I and also to an extent, I would say with Levinas, and I mean, Buber also, uh, who was did a lot of research on um, uh, Hasidim, I believe, as well as his uh, I guess his philosophy. There's, I mean, she's just a very, very Jewish, Jewish thinker. I just see a lot of Jewish themes and and sort of a Jewish reaction to the world and a Jewish reaction to how do we deal and how do we make sense out of these challenges that are arising, you know, in the contemporary era. Uh, so, for in a sense, for me, Jewish content is it's very difficult to identify. Uh, a lot of most of Jewish studies will focus on Jewish history or some religious thing, right? And occasionally I'll bring you know those in, but. Uh, but there's, there's not, I mean, contemporary Jewish studies, at least in the UK is, is a very small community. There's basically three of us. Interesting. Interesting. I think
1: the reason I ask is because I sort of have this, um, kind of unlikely affinity with the Jewish tradition through, just through some sort of accidents in, uh, my, my background and sort of my, uh, the, the people who just happen to be mentors to me Mm -hmm. at at certain moments, uh, in particular, Probably the my, one of my professors and mentors who was probably more influential on me than anyone uh, intellectually in my in my life uh, was one of my professors at Temple as an undergrad. Um, his name's Aryeh Botwinick. I don't know if you would know his work, but um, he's a political theorist, and he was sort of he was a student of Sheldon Wolin, and, and uh, so that's sort of his uh, lineage in some sense. And but he's but he's basic, but he's very interested in theology, sort of proper theology. If I If I I recall correctly, he is a rabbi, Uh, and he would, you know, lecture, he would come to lectures in, you know, traditional Jewish garb. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but... uh, Is he Hasidic? Yeah, I believe so. My ignorance is is revealing itself. Like, long black, you know, black coat, that, you know, big black hat, that kind of thing? Um, Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, basically. Um, In any event, um, yeah, so so he was a very serious sort of uh, Jewish intellectual uh, political theorist, theologian. And yeah, he, I just I just loved him. I, I admired him so much, and he was sort of the the lecturer who sort of uh, first really made me kind of think like I want to live an intellectual life. You know, I want to pursue sort of intellectual work for its own sake, um, just because of the enthusiasm and the passion and sort of erudition with which he did it. Um, and and I didn't really realize this at the time, but it was you know I, I later came to learn that 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 is actually that is kind of a part of the jewish tradition right this sort of emphasis on learning for learning's sake um and so in some sense i i, I sort of have uh, the jewish intellectual tradition to thank for my own you know development in some sense even though i never really uh knew much about you know judaism or the or the religion or sort of the, the larger historical traditions um and then also my uh, other mentors later who would become very important to me um also happen to be, uh, Jewish and, and, and kind of issue intellectually from, from a kind of Jewish perspective. Um, yeah. And so ever since, ever, ever since I sort of came to realize that, uh, I've sort of had this, uh, special kind of affinity with, uh, yeah, Jewish thinkers and, and just sort of the Jewish tradition, but I'm still quite ignorant of it. Um, uh, it's just something that I've, I've noted and something that I appreciate. So that's why I was curious what, yeah. what, what you sort of were most identified with or felt most attracted to in that tradition.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's it's a it is my tradition. So there's a there's a very reflexive component to this, and the work I've done on reflexivity highlights that. It's interesting. The you know the, the I think in North America the there's a disproportionate number of academics who are Jewish, and also in North America uh, minority groups tend to be much more I would say confident in revealing their you know hyphenated status identity right you know you know Jewish or Latino or whatever. Uh, whereas in the UK, well, not only is it a much smaller Jewish community, uh, I forget the numbers, it's about a fraction of what it is in the United States. I don't think it's as represented in academia. And the other thing that's, uh, and, and then so that's one. Two, the, the hyphenated identity here isn't as pronounced. So I don't know how often you would find, if you're a student that or knew that you're your professors or your teachers are Jewish. I suspect that a lot of the time that's, that's not as public. Uh, and at least not initially, it becomes sort of thing like you find out later, you know, in the sort of backroom gossip or bathroom, you know, the backroom talking where, you know, little cliques, Oh, you know, so-and-so. Oh, right. right. You know, so I think that that's probably how it happens <laughs> most of the time. And then the other thing is Jewish studies in North America and obviously in Israel is, uh, it's basically Jews studying Judaism, right? And it's, uh, or Jews studying Jewish history. Uh, whereas over here, it's not Jews studying Judaism or Jews studying Jewish history. It's people who aren't Jewish <laughs> studying, you know, Jewish history or Jewish vision. So, you know, my, my at, at Durham uh, in you know where I'm the co-director for this Jewish Study Center, uh, in, in I think there's there's only two of us in this in, in the center's uh, in the membership of the center that are Jewish, and that's common. In the UK and Europe, whereas in North America, that's really unusual.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, we could probably just talk about issues and questions that extend from this uh, part of the conversation for the rest of it. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to pigeonhole. No, I don't want to pigeonhole us into you know a conversation only about Judaism. and <laughs> That's and good. It's all good. Um, anything else on your mind, or what do you think <laughs> <Many>. about? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah. Like I said, we'll just let it go in any direction you want. Um, maybe we might as well just jump into the, if it's cool with you, we just jump into even more controversial things. Okay. I, I actually, I read your piece on, uh, the open democracy piece on being a reluctant Zionist. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wrote yeah. that years ago. Okay. Have, have you moved away from that or do you still Uh No,
0: with that? no, no. Uh, you know, I got some, I think after writing that, is either that or a related piece for open democracy, I got some, what, uh, some pretty vicious hate mail. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean the thing is, once you start commenting on anything about Israel, uh, you're gonna you're in the firing line. I mean, I've had some pretty brutal, pretty brutal correspondence, especially stuff that I've written in Haaretz. Uh, one one was really hard. No, sorry, it wasn't Haaretz. It was Ynet. Uh, the, it was translated into Hebrew for Yedioth Ahronot. It's one of Israel's main newspapers. And I got some vicious, vicious, uh, emails The yeah, I, you know, I think the reluctant Zionist is, is still very much, uh, I think accurate. Uh, there, there's a guy in London named, uh, Tony Lerman who used to be the, the head of the, uh, let's see if I get this right. The JPR, the Institute for, uh, Jewish policy research. I think I always forget. I know it's JPR and always, it's really embarrassing, but anyways, and he, he wrote a piece an op-ed for the New York Times, not that long ago. Uh, and it's, I think the subpedal, the subtitle of it was, you know, the death of liberal Zionism. And I think there's, so that what I was getting at in that idea of the death of liberal Zionism are are, are parts of the same coin, that there's this increasing uh, difficulty with how, as a Jew, you're supposed to feel connected to a place that's doing and regularly doing bad things. And, you know, acting illegally, acting unethically, you know, uh, corrupt leadership, you know, president, you know, now in prison for you know, sexual assault. You got, you know, all the corruption all over the place. The police force, the disease, got sexual assault, you know, all up in the, in the ranks. There's civil liberties problems. The occupation is nearing 50 years. You know, one of the longest military occupations, if not the longest in history. It's bad stuff, right? It's like, you know, more bad news from the Middle East. Uh, but you know, if you still sort of maintain this connection to the place, then yeah, you become a reluctant Zionist.
1: Yeah, so I, I want to ask you more about that. I'd w- I like to because I thought that piece was very thoughtful. I mean, I appreciated it. I, and I don't have ext- the truth is that I'm, I'm I'm I don't have extremely strong or extremely confident uh, sort of uh, intellectual grasp of of what is obviously a complicated history uh, and political situation. I definitely have you know I definitely have the information that I have and the perspectives and the the priors, if you will, that I, that I have. Uh, But they're not extremely sophisticated and and I'm aware of that. So I don't, I want to kind of ask you maybe some, some interesting questions, Mm -hmm. but, but if they seem pointed at all, it's, I just want you to know it's, it's in very good faith and I'm, and I'm, and I I, I thought your piece was very thoughtful. Um, So I'm, I'm very keen to uh, really understand better um, your perspective because you probably could teach me things. I I don't know. And, and, and also I want to probably, it's probably worth being self-aware that. Uh, I don't exactly know who the audience of this podcast will be, since it's not I'm not releasing them quite yet. But I, my prediction is most likely it'll probably be kind of left wing types with whom a sort of pro Palestinian attitude is mm-hmm. probably going to be highly correlated. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so the, and that is just to lay my cards on the table. That is kind of more or less what I have kind of been socialized into in some sense, uh, but also what I have kind of intellectually felt out for myself as far as I've been able to understand the history and the situation. Um, the, the attitude, as I'm sure, you know, of course, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, rehearsed it with people many times, uh, you know, the perspective, the general impression being that, you know, the, the Israeli state basically oppresses the Palestinian people who basically just want, uh, you know, to be able to live in peace in, in their homeland. Right. Uh, that being sort of, I would say the conventional wisdom from a a, a significant part of sort of the radical left, especially, right. Uh, obviously I'm, I know it's not uh, strange to you. Uh, to hear that. I'm sure you've heard it many times before, but that being basically kind of, uh, the attitude that, that I, t- I tend to basically have when I think about it in a not very sophisticated way. Um, but from what I know, and that being the position that a lot of people have, um, I, it, it, I'm very interested in having a, a, an interesting conversation with a highly educated, thoughtful, you know, uh, reluctant Zionist. So, so, so given that as sort of the background, right. Um, in a, in a somewhat opposed, but good faith way, um, I wonder how would you, how would you sort of summarize the position of of being a reluctant Zionist to someone like me and to, and to my potential audience?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I use the relu- the phrase reluctant, uh, uh, maybe hesitantly. I think uh, I think the, the, probably the better term um, because I don't think there's a, a reluctance so much uh, more than a discomfort about policy. Hmm. Is a uh, better term is uh, the one that Lerman was referring to when he talked about liberal Zionism. So. I mean, First, it's important to understand what, what this idea is of, of liberal Zionism. And because it's... Let me start again. It's, it's important to understand what liberal Zionism is because it defines, I think, a lot of how diaspora Jews in North America especially have come to understand their commitments to, to Israel. And it's, it's a pluralist understanding. It's one that recognizes minority rights, human rights... Uh, the kind of democratic values that define, you know, America idealized, right? So forget all the, you know, the, the, the political theory and, uh, and I think very accurate critiques of the violence inherent in, li- inherent in liberalism. Liberal Zionism is, is, you know, Zionism with human rights, with minority rights, with respect for the rule of law in a democracy. And uh, it's also a kind of Zionism that's uh, never really existed in Israel because Zionism, even though it did address those issues, it was really and primarily an ideology of national self determination. So, even though you can find in Herzl's Als Nuland, you know, his description of a very ideal state where uh, you can see some of these, some of the liberal values, albeit 19th century liberal values, um, being articulated in his vision, the actual ideology of Zionism in practice was really uh, we need to get a state. And how are we going to do it? Uh, with the exception of, I think, cultural Zionism, which wasn't so much interested in sovereignty. So liberal Zionism is really how diaspora Jews were in, in North America and left wing Jews in Europe, who uh, were not going to move to Israel, but wanted uh, sorry, but but felt connected to Israel. And the reluctance, for me at least, and I think the the argument that Lerman raises about you know the end of liberal Zionism is that uh, a lot of the values that uh, that define this account of a socially progressive and just Zionism don't really ma- manifest themselves in Israeli practice. So, one of—I mean—I I was very heavily involved in uh, Zionist youth groups from a fairly young age. I was a teenager, and you know, the idea of Israel that we learned and the ideas of Zionism that we learned were were infused with values of social justice. I mean, this was left-wing mm-hmm. progressive mm-hmm. values. And we always just understood that's what Zionism involved. I mean, you had alternative groups, you know, competing visions. But for us, at least, you know, that was the vision, is progressive, just. And Israel is supposed to be based on, built on these valleys, was supposed to be based on these valleys. The kibbutz was supposed to represent these valleys. You know, it's, it's very egalitarian. And the, 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 the problem, though, is that, that those visions uh, or myths or, you know, idealizations of, of Israel never really materialized. And the, so the, 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 there's a, 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 I think since the '80s, especially since the Lebanon War, and then uh, reaffirmed with the first Intifada, there was an increasing um, discomfort that became the support Israel right or wrong. You know, we leave our morals at the door when it comes to Israel because we need to support Israel, and that's where the reluctance, you know, the reluctance comes in. That's where the, you know, the death of liberal Zionism comes in. It's where do these progressive just, you know, um, social justice values, where do they fit in when we see what kind of country Israel has become and Israel is going. But the the other important part is that even though uh, Israel is, you know, does a lot of very unjust things, for many Jews, Israel is still based on an idea of justice. And that is not an idea that is easy to get rid of. And it's also why criticisms, kind of black or white pro-Palestinian criticisms of Israel are so um, are so troublesome, is that they? one of the things they do other than presenting the conflict in black or white, which is n- not very helpful, but is that they also have this... They, they they ignore the the moral underpinnings, right? The, the idea that Zionism was supposed to be a just project. Yes, there was going to be some you know some difficulties, but it was supposed to be a just project. And the idea then that that uh, you know that 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 there was this 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 impulse, this moral impulse, which okay maybe it's gone a bit wrong, but you know there was this moral drive to what was being done, and that moral drive is what animated so much Jewish support for Zionism when when Diaspora Jews did. Um, go combine uh, the Zionist project. The rejection of that is very, very painful because it suggests that as Jews, we don't have any moral values unless it's for our own kind. Mm. And I think a lot of the the debate about Israel uh, that's coming from, you know, as you put it correctly, sort of left wing Palestinian uh, uh, side, misses that, ignores it, and is why, As Jews, uh, we find so many criticisms of Israel that come from that constituency to be anti-Semitic.
1: Right, right. That's interesting. Okay, I think that's very interesting. So, I mean, you said a lot there, which I find interesting, but the first thing that I was getting from what you're saying is that, on the one hand, it seems that you do believe... I, I I think something important to clarify is that you do believe... In, that you can be unflinchingly honest and critical about the, the injustices of the Israeli state of course, and also be a Zionist basically. Yes. Yes. So, so that I think is what is thoughtful about your position is I think, because a lot of people, I mean, and in fact, sort of the the pro Palestinian sort of attitude that is so prevalent in the radical left. Um, it's sort of so strong that it tends to, um, and I think you find this in, in many sort of, uh, patterns of of sort of ideology in in different spheres as well. It's a similar pattern where whenever attitudes towards something is strong enough, it sort of tends to color even even the very words of other perspectives as, uh, you know, sort of uh, unethical or sort of uh, unquestionably wrong to the point that it's interesting for me to think and reflect on the fact that in most of the circles I roll in and sort of my just sort of political socialization, the very word Zionist is kind of like a bad word. Like no one, it's almost as if, like no, you know, only bad people are called Zionists, right? Um, it's, it's the way that it's it almost functions um, mentally uh, in, in certain groups, and so that's why I thought your piece was very interesting. And because because I, you're you're basically saying that no, you you can act, you can be you can be unflinchingly honest and aware and critical of everything that's wrong about the Israeli state, and yet there is a deep uh, vision of justice that. It's contained within the Zionist tradition or perspective that you think is worth holding onto um, yeah. and, 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 that's, and that you believe in. Yeah. I think that's normal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the most, most of the, 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 most
0: Zionists, so speaking as a, uh, speaking within the, you know, this is, we're still talking about Diaspora. I mean, in Israel, when we talk about Israel and, and Zionism within Israel, it's a bit different, but. Uh, in a not in the sense that they don't have morals, not at all. But in the sense that you know, it's more nationalism, you know, or patriotism. It's a slightly different dynamic. You know, the state is there; your living is different. But uh, you know, if you're talking about diaspora Zionism, right, the connections of diaspora to Israel, it's always had that. I mean, there's always been criticism. There's never been silence. It's never been, you know, it, the yeah. Israel right or wrong view was, was, you know, it was more of a public face mm. that felt, you know, we need to stand together because here, you know, as a Jewish people, we're used to being attacked, we're used to being, you know, you know attacked, critiqued, you know, assaulted, whatever. Now we can eat now we have to come together, and we need to put up a brave, strong face, but behind doors, yeah, there's always been a huge amount of debate, a huge amount of criticism and even when Zionism even before the state of Israel, even when Zionism was developing and growing as an ideology, it's not as if there's only one variant right there's many different versions of it. And a lot of debate within within the Zionist, uh, I guess within the, within Zionism, that eventually sort of narrowed as the practicalities of achieving a state started to present themselves. okay, this is What we have to do, but but even then, you know, there's always there's always a sort of you know normative uh, dimension to what was what was being done. Uh, the other thing is about you know this. That I, that really annoys me about the the black or white you know pro Palestinian left mm-hmm. um, account of of the conflict is I don't I, I, it's so hypocritical I mean one of the things that went wrong with Zionism in my opinion was there was exactly sorry one of the things that went wrong with Zionism was the the, the the way in which Zionism was articulated is sort of like an um, like a uh, without getting into too jargony. You know, it was it was the, the you know the sort of the of its own destruction contained within. It's an imminent critique within Zionism. The imminent critique within Zionism is you're going you're trying to argue for a particular kind of just polity, but the polity that you're advocating is also necessarily and inevitably an inherently violent one. Why? Because you're taking you're you're, you're taking your your case. And you're placing it into the big, you know, box of violence, death, and destruction that we call sovereignty in the modern nation state, right? Zionism is built on the, you know, the nineteenth the century model of the of the nation state and of sovereignty, which, as both of us know, was an incredibly violent model, and. That, so, so you could have all this justice, but once you start to do that, okay, we may still, you know, we have some good ideas here, we want, you know, we want to be a socially just people, you know, whatever, but once we're going to do this, okay, we have to fight for it. And that's what Avi Shavit's book, My Promised Land, which is a bestseller and, you know, it's really popular in the diaspora, it's not even published in Hebrew, uh, that's what that book is all about, right, without the political theory part in it. The thing about the, pro, the thing that's missing that uh, it, within the I think the, the the left Palestinian camp is why would they assume the Palestinians would be any different, right? They're still arguing for the same thing. Number one and number two, it's not even clear what geography constitutes Palestine. You know, um, Rashid Khalidi's Rashid Khalidi's excellent book about the the, the, the uh, Palestinian national identity. It's quite dated now, and, and I met him briefly uh, years ago. He, his book pointed out the, what could have been the boundaries of, you know, ancient Palestine in the sense of a Palestinian nation, which is fairly recent, right? The idea of a Palestinian nation is fairly recent. Uh, that's not to lessen its significance, but rather to highlight that the territory of it, right, can't be go you, know, you can't go back, you know, millions of years because, you know, people move and identification change and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's fairly recent. It clearly doesn't reflect the boundaries of the contemporary Middle East, Right, for a few reasons. One, it's 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 relatively recent, and two, more importantly, the boundaries don't reflect anything other than the colonial ambitions. Right, so it's if you talk about what would be Palestine, chances are it would have to include parts of Lebanon, potentially parts of Syria, although that's not clear. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be today's Israel and West Bank, uh, you know, today's Israel and West Bank or Gaza. Right, it would be a different space. So there's this kind of odd irony that you have in order to reject, in order to to, to, to make the unequivocal Palestinian case for national self-determination, you have to challenge right, the rights of uh, Jewish national self-determination uh, in a state that already exists. Right? Um, you have to question not only Israel's territorial borders but also the makeup of the Middle East. And you also need to look at what the Palestinians have done for themselves. Now, I argue quite strongly that if I'm going to make the case for Jewish self-termination in Israel, then I have to also make a case for Palestinian national self-termination. And I fully support the rights mm. of the Palestinians to have a state. I fully support the rights of Israel to exist. Um, what those boundaries are, I'm open to suggestions, right? I'm not, mm. I don't really care so much about that. I think there's, you know, we can flexible, negotiated. We can negotiate. We can think creatively, right? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not so wedded to that 19th century territorial sovereignty. I think there's ways that you can. I mean, I know it's not really going to happen that we could change in that sort of radical, in a radical way. But at least if I'm speaking in the abstract, and I think in in terms of moral principles, I'm open. You know, I support both rights, and I'm open to how we then implement those. Okay. Um, but ignore so let's but let's look at for a minute the, the history of the what the Palestinians have done and they tried to over they tried to assassinate King King Abdullah, King Hussein's father. They were heavily invested in the Lebanese Civil War, massively destabilized Lebanon, uh, were because of that were kicked out into Tunis, right? And the Arab countries use them as pawns to divert attention from domestic problems. The, the Palestinian people have, and this is the huge tragedy, and I'll say this, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyways, it's pretty controversial, I don't think the Palestinians have any real friends internationally. Uh, I think they clearly have, per, you know, as, as people, they clearly have friends, but as a people, in terms of the, the policy agenda, I don't think they, of, of a Palestinian state, I don't think they have any real friends, and I think a lot of the, you know, the Arab world, certainly not, and i think the the radical left or the left that's supporting them i don't really think they're helping their case mm-hmm. i think actually what they're doing is the reverse and the reason they're making their, they're, they're 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 not helping their case is they reaffirm this just crazy idea that if israel were just to withdraw and give the palestinians whatever they wanted assuming that the radical left is even giving israel you know a space to exist in the future uh, assuming, so, you know, if Israel just to withdraw and give the Palestinians what they wanted, that the conflict would end, that's a complete fantasy, right? It, and it's not because it wouldn't help, but it's because the history of spoilers in the Middle East has determined and driven the entire peace process or lack thereof. Right, right. So, so, so you walk away, you're still going to have violence, right? And Israel is then still going to have to respond. Okay,
1: real quick, just two things I'm thinking. The first is that I, I think I'm personally uncomfortable talking about the Palestinians, right, because to me it's like there there you know there's the sum total of the Palestinian people um then there are you know different factions of course, and different groups that do different types of things, right so um I'm just like I would never want to hold all you know Israeli citizens uh directly responsible for you know the injustices of the israeli state mm-hmm. i I also wouldn't want to hold the Palestinian people, all of them sort of equally accountable for the actions of. Perhaps you know the PLO or Hamas or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, I'm sure and that's you why acknowledge that.
0: that's why I distinguish between the people having friends and the people, right? Yes, because sir. I'm talking what I'm talking about is the now, you know, as a political group, right? When they're fighting for their for their for their cause, which I you know, as I said, I uh, I think is a just cause. Uh, that has been done with I, I, I don't think with you know in the, in, in the most um, effective of ways. Sure, but but, but regardless of strategy. no one has
1: really helped them. I see see, see your point on that. And I think, so what I was going to say is that I think what a lot of people see when they look at the situation is they see, you know, these sort of two competing groups, but one of them has all of these weapons and money, right. And Mm -hmm. and a current sort of powerful state and the other, and the other, uh, you know, is, is suffering obviously under pretty terrible conditions, which are, you know, sort of seen as enforced by the Israeli state. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of people look at that and to them, it's just an obvious sort of moral, uh, ethical, uh, political horror. Um, and I think that that basic, that basic, although it's, it's simple and it, and it's, it's a, it's a kind of, it, it is fairly simplistic. I think that that, uh, that view is at least reasonable. And I, but I suspect that your sensitivity to the injustices of the Israeli state allow you to, to, to acknowledge that to some degree, um,
0: I mean, what, what what comes to the thing that I think is the most uh, frustrating for all of this is that, and, and the, tr- the most tragic is, is it, it, it's and it's a platitude, right? You ha- you can only make uh, peace with your enemies, right? And the, the the thing here is that the Israelis and or the Israeli state and the Palestinian la- whatever the Palestinian um, potential state that for them to exist, they're uh, they they're gonna they need each other. Right? They're going to have to work together unless one of them is going to be eradicated, right? And, and I just refuse to buy into the logic that requires one of those peoples to lose their future and to lose their dignity. I, I,
1: and I agree with that, but a lot of people see the situation and, and it kind of looks like the Israeli state is intent on the extermination uh, outcome. I think that the, I think that the Israeli state, I, I don't think they're intent on the extermination,
0: although certainly a few within are. I think that the, 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 the let's put it this way, I think the Israeli government, uh, not, the, not the state, let's, let's put it that way. I think the Israeli government for quite a few years now has come to the conclusion that it is more, um, I don't know. want to say effective or more efficient to manage the conflict than to resolve it. That they've come to the conclusion that uh, they're not going to get a settlement that they would be able to pass with the current government, right, or even for that matter, the past, you know, few governments aren't going to be able to pass in the Knesset, one. Uh, two, uh, the reason why it would be difficult to pass a, a settlement is that there would be have, very difficult concessions that have to be made, particularly about Jerusalem, and uh, it would be hard to sell that to the Israeli public because what the Israeli public sees is the violence against them, right? Now, the thing is, and you see this in every country, it's, always easier to see injustices elsewhere, right? So for the Israeli public, what, you know, yeah, the military does bad things. Yeah, there's questionable policies. I mean, but the things, if you're living there, you don't see that. And it's not because it's hidden, it's because what you see is more overt, and what is more overt are the Palestinian suicide bombings, the shooting in, you know, markets in Tel Aviv, you know, the stabbings, the driving into pedestrians, waiting at tram stations, I mean, that's what you see. And it's just like anywhere else, right? We don't see everything that's going on in Whitehall, but we do see, you know, whoever crazy is having to be running around shite this, and, you know, whatever platform they want. I mean, mm-hmm. so, we, I think we forget that. And it's not an excuse, but I think we forget that. Uh, the, the 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 so so there's it'd be very very difficult to pass it. The other thing is, um, it it's also not really clear if there is a Palestinian leadership that would be able to uh, let's say enforce a peace agreement, right? The Palestinian leadership is very very fragmented. It's also largely corrupt, and the Palestinians. You made a good point about you know what is the Palestinian people. The Palestinians are at least a, um, a three- or four-part group, ignoring the Christian-Muslim, you know, division—well, uh, um, um, cleavages. Well, is that's not the right word, but the different, you know, diversity within. You've got Palestinians in Gaza, led by Hamas. They're having a very different experience than Palestinians in the West Bank, right, ruled, you know, by effectively Fatah, the Palestinian Authority. You've got Palestinian refugees, right, within the Middle East— and then you've got Palestinian um, refugees who are living in the West. And all of them have got, you know, different agendas, different perceptions, different needs. And it's very, very... And any peace agreement, in a sense, would kind of need to bring them together. And that's very, very hard when you don't have, uh, you know, a, a strong and legitimate uh, leader who's, who, who they'll follow and who can also make the difficult compromises.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think... Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think uh, you know reasonable people can probably disagree about certain you know aspects of the uh, obviously of the ethical or political situation, and I think so. I actually kind of want just sort of acknowledging that basic reality that it's complicated and that you know I'm certainly not interested in uh, you know settling any anything here today, right? Um, I want to actually go back to something that you said before that that I quite liked or agreed with, which was that you're. This idea that, or at least what I was thinking from from listening to you at a certain point before, is this idea that no matter how sort of unjust uh, the actual concrete political evolution of a particular idea uh, becomes, uh, no matter how tainted it becomes with with terrible uh, policies or whatever it might be, that that doesn't give anyone the right to say that therefore what they deeply believe in that is good and defensible within that difficult, complicated tradition, therefore, has to be rejected or let go of. And and I I I also am very opposed to that position, which is very common, I think, in the radical left on 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 a lot of issues. It's not just, it's a sort of structure of thinking, uh, and in 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 which case the this is just one example of many where it's like, you know, you often hear it in some circles like. Uh, you have to, like, if you're an American, you have to hate America in some sense. Like, if you don't hate America uh, and you're not sort of, you know, if you're not adequately self-loathing as, as an American, uh, therefore, you're unacceptably, immorally, uh, kind of participating in, in, you know, the horrors of the American state or supporting it or shoring it up. Um, and I think that's wrong. I think not only is that wrong, but, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's violent and it's conservative in its own, in its own way because I think you can't, there's a sort of left-wing posture of sort of saying, you know, it's like the pattern seems to be like you seize on a particular sort of moral high ground that that's like very obvious, right? Often very stark and simple, right? Um, whether it be the, you know, the obvious sort of, uh, disproportionality between the power of the Israeli state and, you know, the, the seemingly helpless of Palestinian people, um, or, you know, the, the power of, you know, the American empire and, you know, the, the seemingly helpless, uh, uh, you know, people around the globe who the American state sort of uh, dominates, or whatever. You sort of seize on this sort of obvious and, in some way, undeniable uh, moral disproportion or horror, and, and and you and you want you want that to be a reason for everyone else to give up what is, for better or worse, their the nature of their community, the nature of their identity, uh, in in a deep way. And I just think human beings don't work like that and they, and they can't work like that. And you can't, ex- people have the right to hold tight to what they believe in, especially when that constitutes their most fundamental community. Um, no, no matter, no matter how much that idea or that, or the, or those ideals might be manipulated or, uh, you know, put to unjust uses by, especially what tends to be people higher up in sort of the social hierarchy. Um, and I think that that is a, a very sort of systemic kind of thought problem uh, and kind of behavioral uh, problem, in, in especially in the radical left. Because what it does is it actually ends up pushing and uh, pushing people away and pushing people further and further into precisely the, the kind of insular, polarized, um, antagonistic uh, postures that I think people I, I would think uh, people on the radical left want. Precisely to uh, transcend and and kind of uh, does that make any sense? It does. I don't think they want to transcend it because it's so rooted in who they are.
0: You know, it's the kind of save the world types. It's and it's this blacker. It gets back to the the criticisms I was making earlier about the blacker white uh, approach to the conflict. It's you know I've got the. (laughs) <laughs> I've got morality on my side, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, whole, there's holier-than-thou attitude that comes with that. And anybody who doesn't live up to my standards is a failure. And not only... That, but because they're a failure in such absolutist moral terms, they effectively become kind of a lesser human being. And yes. it makes it really easy then not just to attack their values and their views, but also to attack them as a person. And, and uh, you know, I've had... Yeah, I think you're right. And I it's... it's uh, I think it's actually really ugly as well. And I think it's really unfortunate that... Um, you can find that kind of uh, you can find that that attitude on people who you know are trying to at least in their own mind are, are, are trying to make the world you know a better place you
1: know and fight for right. justice it's but i I'm, I'm very fascinated by how that is I think one of the the key mechanisms whereby the the unjust status quo is reproduced in some sense I mean I think about this in, mm, in yeah. right now in relation to Uh, the Donald Trump phenomenon in the U S and there, you know, the radical left and in the left in in some sense, more generally has for a long time, you know, basically treated poor white, you know, poor white educated uh, men, especially as just sort of throwaway people. Like they're bad people. They're, 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 they're racist. They're sexist. They're nasty people. Um, I mean, you know, people don't obviously don't say that, but that's how, that's how you know people who are now you know supporting Donald Trump um, have been rejected and kind of devalued by sort of the 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 inherent sort of ideals and uh, values and just ways of thinking and ranking people and types, especially by yeah. uh, morality that is popular on the, on the left and the radical left especially and so it's like the fact that the fact that you know uh, uneducated white men are sort of surging. In support of Donald Trump and and are, and are being quite successful and powerful with it at this point to me it, I actually think the left is quite responsible for that because we have been treating these people as anathema right. we've been treating these people as anathema for so long but in fact all they're really doing is what all people do which is trying to make the best out of the world that they are given and trying to basically uh, live whatever live the most sort of full identity, And uh, kind of you know coherent existence that they're able to salvage from you know the situation and the environment that they that they have right. And I think the attitude where we sort of we have our sort of intellectual ideals and our judgments and our morals, um, and we look out at the world and we look out at other groups and and people, and we kind of judge people based on what we think the morality of their identity or their community or their 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 tendencies tends to be. It is it's actually a way of saying we would rather be left to ourselves to feel moral. And we actually want other people to continue going on in ways that we find abhorrent um, as as if just because it makes it's easier for us to process or something like that. But we actually, Mm -hmm. we actually in doing that, we actually sustain uh, and are constitutive of precisely these, these sort of uh, negative uh, attitudes or behaviors that we pretend to be opposed to. And that's, I think a fundamentally common uh, disingenuous uh, attitude especially from the left uh, if you can, if you can tell, I'm sort of, you know, I am, I'm, I kind of, uh, I sort of roll on the, on the radical left and that is ultimately where my attitudes and ideas find, I think the sort of the most useful outlet and the most useful vocabulary. But as you can tell, i I have a lot of sort of, uh, there are a lot of things about the left sociologically that I think are really perverse and that's, and this, that's kind of what I'm thinking about.
0: I think also the, what you're, yeah, I agree. I agree entirely with what you're saying. I think that, and also having rolled in those circles in the past. I think that there's also a, a, a part where you know you need to have those you know uneducated you know others uh, that helps give you a sense of superiority. It's the vanguard, right? It's the elitism of you know the Mensheviks. We're the, you know we're the elite. We'll do it. We don't need the masses. And um, was it, it was the Mensheviks? They were the elitists, right? It was the Bolsheviks. Anyways, it's been a while. I think it was the Mensheviks. Anyways, it was Lenin, right? It was the elitists that we it's been a long time since I did Russian history, but it, it was the elitists, right? Who who, who were the vanguard, and they're the ones who. Uh, you know, you don't need the rest, right? And you sort of look down on them. Similar with you know the way Marx treated um, um, uh, Engels, right? Similar kind of dynamic. And uh, I think they sort of—it's it's, yeah, it's it's perverse. I think you also in the UK you're finding the similar, the exact same thing happening with UKIP with the Labour Party. And you know, when you play this, you know, we'll know the results of the referendum. But uh, I don't think the Labour Party has. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. When in the last election, it was everybody was saying, "You know, the conservatives are the ones who need to be worried about UKIP." But actually, it was Labour, right? The conservatives were losing some people to UKIP, but what Labour missed was that they were vulnerable. And what you're seeing now is a, it, it, with the referendum is you know this huge fracturing of the two major political parties, right? Uh, Labour and Conservatives uh with down this kind of you know it's the eu is 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 if you will the proxy for this it's the it's what or the i don't say it's the cause but it's it's the in a way the driver of of how the of how we're seeing these splits you know really uh, uh grow and uh, i think re- reassert and enforce themselves and you so and, and and it's coming down this kind of right-wing populism right that that Frange has been able to exploit for quite a few years, and now that, you know, the snake oil charmer that's otherwise known as uh, Boris Johnson <laughs> is managing to to leverage for his own personal ambition, and Gove, right, uh, you know, these are guys who are saying we're sick of elites, they are the elite, right, uh, much like, you know, Trump, and it carries currency, the exact same thing has happened in Austria, right, where you had the presidential election, I was there when they are having them, the first ones, not the second, you know, the, run- the, the second round, round. but, uh and as the, you know you look it's the exact same thing happening there the major parties are you know fracturing the the that the, there's a large group you know within the country that that just don't see those those parties as representing them anymore speaking to them and you know one of my colleagues goes you know buys into the the these are the the losers of globalization and i think he's right i think there's part of that which explains this kind of shift and that you know the trump or the you know the 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 ukip brexit thing um uh, the thing is though, in a, that uh, when, in the nineties when, so I was, you know, I grew up in West Coast of Canada, right? So, you know, and you know, radical left, whatever, clearly mm-hmm. a left wing community by and large. Uh, and the battle in Seattle, which was happening during, uh, like a week before final exams. So I, you know, being very studious, didn't go. One of my, some of my friends went, one of whom never graduated. So I think I made the right choice, but, uh, uh, the battle for Seattle. What was the argument in the 90s for against globalization from the left? It was reaffirm the state, strengthen the state, right to protect workers' rights, right, and that will stem the tide of you know the neoliberalization of the market. That only the state can do it.
1: That was some of the argument. That was the, sort of the, the more trade union side of it. But there was definitely a significant sort of radical anarchist contingent yeah. that was saying basically smash it. Smash everything. But forget
0: them. And I, you know, I mean, I, I know the group, but they, you know, the the, the the one that was, I think, had greater currency, right, just in terms of demographics was Strength of the State, right, because unions were involved.
1: Yeah, and it definitely at least media voice, right? And media that, voice. That's the only kind of argument that gets airtime. Yeah, uh, because if yeah. you're breaking, if, if your whole view is just smash everything, you're not going to get very... F- to be fair, to be fair, the smash, every, smash everything is sort of shorthand for what can actually be more sophisticated arguments and perspectives. So I, I, to which I'm actually quite sympathetic, but right. but, but go on. Yeah. Okay, yeah, So I'm not saying those are the only voice, sure. that, that was a major one. I think yeah. we'd agree on that. So or a bit, sure a bit, the trade union one the status one yeah, yeah.
0: and even I mean you know I think you you, you got you know you got Naomi Klein on your shelf and yourself <laughs> and you know there's this argument with you know within that side left that we need to you know we need to protect and either it's we need to protect our community and it usually comes down to some kind of territorialized yes. defense mechanism right and that was the same argument on the right. Right, right so you know it was it, i mean obviously they had different understandings you know the content of it yeah but the the general structure was the same and i think because and that was where you got the, that's where the third way came in right that's where you know clinton and you know certainly blair who i think now is rightly a prior but <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know that's where they came in and gore i heard gordon brown speak recently in newcastle uh the former prime minister and and he was also still speaking that kind of way that that uh but in but he he modified it a bit. He had said, you know, the force of globalization can only be confronted together, right, collectively, and that's why he's saying, you know, we need to remain in the EU. And I, I think he's right on that. Um, but the it's it's it, it's there's the that 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 polarization of the right and the left. Um, sorry, not the polarization. The arguments of the right and the left that effectively are about strengthening some kind of territoriality as a response to just never really worked. Mm-hmm. And I think that and over time, as you know, the forces of neoliberal capital, right, have you know managed to <laughs> get away with you know highway robbery right yeah. over the years, it's just become harder and harder and harder for people to see an alternative. They see the systems being complicit in it. They see the major parties as not really being able to answer to it. And they're looking for others, and that's when you, know, you
1: get this kind of right-wing populism who and they latch on to easy targets like immigration yeah yeah that's interesting i mean sometimes i think that we have all become so fucked by global capital so so dramatically and rapidly over the past several years decades i suppose that in some sense i I sometimes interpret all kinds of diverse sort of political phenomena especially ideological phenomena as all just sort of a bunch of different variations on uh what is like a basic kind of uh Mass confusion about what the fuck to do, given the 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 overarching um, uh, power realities that have leave us all pretty helpless at this point. You know, like I almost when you take a step back and you almost see all of the different sort of views that are you know being being put forward in the public sphere, all the different sort of uh, groupings that that are occurring and cleavages that are opening up. Sometimes I I take a step back from it all, and it's almost like if you don't if you don't listen too closely to what anyone's saying, you can kind of understand it all as like. We're all just fucking freaking out because uh, it seems to be that liberal democracy uh, is dying perhaps and we don't know what to do and we're all really scared. So it's like everyone is sort of grasping at identities and attitudes and ideologies and behaviors that uh, just given their sociological grouping and position in society seem immediately most available to them to kind of like hold on for dear life. Do you know what I mean? I totally Uh, and I think what I think we are I think Marx
0: is right. In this, we are seeing this is the seeds of you know the seeds of it, sowing the seeds of its own destruction. I think what we're seeing now is the uh, in, you know in the long game the the, uh, the the fragmentation of the West in a way that uh, we haven't seen before.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Fragmentation of the West. Do you, do you think is this the end of Western civilization, or do you have this kind of perspective? I don't know if i would say the end of Western civilization. I mean, it's you know if it
0: depends. You know, as a as a you know a, a student, teacher, <laughs> scholar of international relations. Uh, you know, the, the West is still so hegemonic that, you know, in some ways, I don't know if that's a very interesting question or, or, sure. or an easy one to answer. But uh, we, we do. But, but,
1: but also, as you know, as, as scholars of, you know, world history and, and things like this, or yeah. just as people knowledgeable about world history, we also know that, you know, all civilizations rise and fall. Exactly. Eventually. Yeah, so, yeah, eventually. so in yeah. some sense, it's not even that dramatic of no. a uh, hypothesis. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I think that what is happening, I don't know if, if it's necessarily decline. Mean, I think it, maybe it's decline in certain parts of the West. I think we're seeing the decline of American of the United States. I think that's happening because the, it's just the political system is just such a mess, uh, and it's also so prone to corruption that uh, I think we're seeing all that starting to you know really really assert the problems really assert themselves. And uh, I think you know it's just it's managed to get away with with it because of the size, you know, the economy, the military, you know, the usual sort of realist markers. It's enabling it to kind of I think float above its station than it probably otherwise would be. But um, I think what's happening is we're I was talking. It's hard to, you know, when Cameron came out and he was talking about, you know, if we leave, it's, you know, that could bring the future of war. I think he was right. I don't think he expressed it very well, and I think it's a very difficult argument to make. But I think he was onto something. I think that what he was trying to say, in which uh, others have now said, is that uh, the 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 the, the argument for leaving the 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 EU. And a lot of the resentment across Europe, not just in the UK, but across Europe towards the EU and and, uh, concerns over immigration are tied to this kind of uh, parochial nationalism that I don't think we've really seen assert itself so powerfully since, I don't know, I want to say like the early 20th century. I mean, I'm thinking here from, you know, in terms of conflict from, you know, Gallipoli up to the First World War and then leading into the Second and uh, I think that, that what they see is if we do go down this road where, you know, the future of the country is understood in these very xenophobic and very um, parochial worldviews, that you are leading into a future world of increased conflict and decreased cooperation. And I think they're right. Uh, I don't know what that'll manifest itself as. You know, I'm not saying there'll be right. another European war. Right. I mean, but it, I mean, there, there has been, right? You know, in Kosovo. But uh, I'm not. But there, you know, it's it's certainly plausible that there could be conflicts. And I don't think that you know the the you know this idea, And sorry, the other thing that that I think is important here is the you know the the, the target the the that that's being used and being labeled as a threat is you know Muslim extremists, ISIS, you know, terrorism, whatever. Uh, and then of course becomes the enemy within where have we heard this kind of stuff before you know this isn't new we've seen this before and all of that really scares me and i think that it's it, i mean it's a very difficult argument to make you know politically mm. when you're trying to get people to vote for you it's kind of it's hard to do but yeah. i think he was right i think you know and it's just unusual because i usually disagree with
1: everything david cameron says <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay I, I see that point i think that's i think you put that intelligently definitely um, I think I might have to let that be the last word, but I'll, yeah. I'll let you have the last word. Um, no, I, I don't need it. <laughs> I, I hate to, well, I hate to be abrupt, but think, we, time we is re- up. And that was about an hour, so that's good. Yeah. And uh, that was a really fun, interesting, yeah. wide-ranging conversation. I, uh, did you enjoy it?
0: I did. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I hope I don't get too much hate mail after you said that. I said some
1: controversial stuff, so oh, we'll I, see what happens when it gets posted. I don't know. I, yeah, controversial, sure. Um, but I, nothing you said struck me as you know uh, offensive or... I've tried not uh, to be. I mean, I think reasonable people can disagree. Yeah. And I think people, I don't know, I think people, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I think people are really becoming just increasingly allergic to people who disagree with them. I mean, and I think it's yeah. really, really sad. It's like it's like there's this, people are becoming increasingly just, in a really knee-jerk way, in a really deep kind of gut way. In their gut, they're like, uh, just viscerally in incapable of sitting at a table with someone who they might not totally agree with. Um, Uh, Okay, I have to say this because I think, you know, I think social media has a bit of a role here, you know, where it's able
0: to filter, so you only see stories that you would, you know, it's able to filter stories through algorithms so it only presents news and other stories that you would agree with or that are consistent with what you've seen. But where else do we see this? We see this in this insane, politically correct argument. Um, Undergraduate students let, us you know, they they get rid of Rhodes, you know, at at, at, uh, uh, Oxford, you know, the things in the states, you know, this kind of—I'm going to use this phrase intentionally—this whitewashing of history because I don't want to be offended. And I, yeah, I think you're right. It's uh you know, some some honest and you know, friendly uh, debate is a good thing.
1: Well, that's a, that's definitely um, yeah, okay. I'm glad we both agree on that. Yeah. What you just mentioned—that's a whole other can of worms that I would love to have another yeah, podcast another... on. That's something that kind of comes up a bit on uh, on this podcast that I've had a, a few times. But and yeah, and I think that that I think that what you're alluding to is is fair generally. I think i'm i'm not so qu- i'm and I'm not, I'm not saying you're doing this but i'm not so quick to sort of poo poo all of it mm. um but i but i do agree that there are certain dynamics in sort of contemporary culture that you were kind of pointing to that are uh more troubling than than promising think, especially if even yeah. from what even from sort of the radical left kind of liberationist perspective um so you yeah. feel there's a right not to be offended, and I think
0: there's a right that, that at a certain point you're you know racism, sexism, you know you know uh, etc. Yeah, but there's also this kind of there's the problem is saying you know if you live in the world you have to be able to recognize you know the, what the bad stuff that's happened so you can overcome it. You know if you just forget it, try to erase it, I don't see how that takes us into a better place. Right. Yeah,
1: I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I'm, I I really like having conversations with people. I don't, I don't even know if I agree with them or not in advance, and why should you? you know, you, That's the point of the conversation, right, to, to learn that. Uh, and so that's actually one of the kind of the goals behind the podcast. And so right, this cool. has been a really good example of that. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And Same. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Totally. Cool. Yeah. And obviously, I'll let you, once these start going live, I'll, I'll send it to you for sure. Please do. I want to hear some of your other speakers. <laughs> I mean, one of them. Cool, cool. All right, let me
0: click this off.